0: welcome back to the just interesting people podcast i hope you are having a wonderful day so far my name is rosie and i'm here with my co-host and husband jeremy as usual and today we are talking to john
1: what an incredible person and an amazing life john had and is still having i'm gonna keep this one short he was a screenwriter in hollywood he won nine emmy awards years later right now is spending half of his time in India, half of his time in the US, raising money to help orphan girls in India go to college. How did that happen? Just listen to the episode. It's absolutely amazing. And John is such an amazing source of inspiration and motivation. After listening to this episode, you're going to want to chase your dream and go out there because the world is full of amazing opportunities. Enjoy. John, welcome to the show.
2: Rosie and Jeremy, thanks for having me. It's great to be here.
1: So excited for this episode. When I, when I was doing my research, I was like a little geek. I was like getting excited every time I was reading something new about you. So yeah, I'm super pumped about it. <laughs> I, I hope it lives up to that in any way. <laughs> I'm sure you will. All right. uh, no, I mean, talk about interesting people in the world. Um, When we go through your Instagram bio, it says father, orphan advocate, author, photographer, screenwriter, TV producer, volunteer, traveler. (laughs) (laughs) Where to start? You got a lot going on. (laughs) (laughs) Let's start with um, the beginning because I've seen something super interesting. I've never talked to a screenwriter in my life. I've never met one. And so I've seen that you studied actually business administration when you were younger, but you decided that was not for you and you decided instead, I want to be a screenwriter. And when I saw that about you, what came to my mind is, I mean, there's one thing between, I want to become a screenwriter and having the skills and everything to be a screenwriter. It's not that easy. So how did you make that decision? Was that something that you were doing before that?
2: Yeah, when I was in college, I studied business because I really didn't know what to do. And I thought, well, everything is sort of business, so I'll study business. But as I got closer to the end, I realized I hate business. <laughs> and so and so I started to think, what would what would I really like to do? And I thought, I love movies. And I thought, I'm going to write movies. Now, I had never written a movie, but I had never even read a screenplay before. I just mm. got in my car after graduation like you do when you're 21 years old <laughs> and I drove across the country and I got wow. to Hollywood and I showed up and I started writing. Now I started reading books, I started reading screenplays and the funny thing is, so after three weeks in town, I finished my first screenplay wow. and it was about midnight, about midnight. So I was so excited that I finished the script that I decided I needed someone to read the script right then yeah (laughs) so i went to i didn't have a printer so i went to an all night like kinko's print shop i printed a copy and i drove into the hollywood hills now i only knew one person in town who was in the business this was a guy who wrote the revenge of the nerds back in the day
1: Hmm.
2: and i went to his house it was past one in the morning (laughs) and this is i love this story because i would never do this now but it just shows the kind of hubris and enthusiasm of youth i ran up to the door I banged on that door like I was a cop trying to break in at the drug bust you know and I was saying Tim Tim I finished my script and like he was probably home but he didn't answer because he thought this guy's this guy's on crack or something and I left that script on his door and I thought I drove down through the Hollywood Hills feeling like somehow I'd been cheated out of something like my success will have to wait till the morning and that is bull you know and And I just like I always remember that moment because from there to today, I mean, it's a lot of work. It's a really it's a tough business. It's super competitive. And so but that first moment, I mean, had all the kind of enthusiasm and inspiration that uh, I I some days wish today that I still had, you know, that exact same kind of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that sort of naive naivete that just says go bang on the door at one in the morning. (laughs) (laughs) You know, sometimes I wish I, I still had that. I still have a bit of it, but not like that.
1: But were you like, would you define yourself as a creative kid, teenager? Um, cause I mean, I don't know if, I don't know anything about it to be honest, but I don't know if I, if tomorrow I grab a notebook or a laptop or whatever and decide to write even a short movie, I have no idea where to start. So mm-hmm. I don't know how to go with it, you know?
2: Yeah. Well, the internet's good for that. It'll, you know, yeah. there'll be endless amounts of things to tell you what to do, but also ever since I was little i was a creative kid like you say i mean i was i wrote my first book when i was 13 and i used to my mother used to come up to my room and say hey uh john it's a good day outside uh why don't you go outside because i'd be sitting at my this is back when i had a typewriter typing out (laughs) a you know a story or drawing i used to always want to be a cartoonist that was what i really Mm -hmm. thought i would be as a kid that was my first real love but then i got into movie making when I was in early teens and uh, I got into acting and I and so I love all the different creative mediums. I love music. I play the guitar and write songs. But um, my goal was to find a way to make a living doing something like that. And mm. so that's kind of what I set out to do was to find a way that I could take all those uh, creative passions and just turn them into enough to make a living.
1: I'm curious how you're parents reacted to this decision. Hey, mom, dad, I just graduated. I'm going to earn some money. No, actually, I'm going to grab my car, drive to the other side of the country and try to make <laughs> it over there. Forget about everything I've just did for three years.
2: <laughs> yeah, I was fortunate because my parents uh, growing up, they encouraged me in all kinds of creative ways. But they also one of the offers they made me as a kid was any creative thing that I needed, a tool or, a, or, you know, something to to assist with that they would provide me with Mm -hmm. so even like i oftentimes said hey i need more paper i just need more pens or permanent ink pens but one time i was into the piano and my father after listening to me bang away up in the living room on on the piano we had up there he came home with this crappy uh baby grand piano he bought in a bar for 50 bucks and (laughs) and he said hey this is your piano and we're gonna put it in the basement and (laughs) And so I I thought, wow, that's so great. But I realized later he was just trying to get me away from his ear (laughs) while I figured this thing out. Um, So they were really encouraging that way. And I don't think they were particularly surprised that I Hmm. hit the road and did something like that. Because if I had gone into insurance, that would have been unexpected.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I see.
0: So Jeremy's very good at doing his research. And he found out that you're a nine-time Emmy Award winning TV producer.
1: that's That's right so freaking cool
0: that's incredible (laughs) i've never met anyone who's even one time emmy award-winning let alone nine times how did that happen
2: (laughs) well so i got into um i ended up getting married and Mm -hmm. we had our we had our first child was on the way and i decided to leave los angeles and move to maine we wanted to raise our son well ended up being our son in a place that was more quiet than los angeles and Mm. safer And so I ended up getting into the television business just as a creative. I was thinking, well, you know, that's a creative outlet, uh, even though I I had experience just as a writer out in Hollywood. And so I ended up working as creative director for a big group of television stations. Mm. Now, in the Emmys, there's all kinds of categories that you just don't know about. So there's the Mm. primetime Emmy Awards, which are the ones that everyone sees. But even yeah. the Daytime Emmy Awards, like not everybody watches those. But there's all kinds of other Emmys that never make it on to the big stage. So a lot of my categories were in things like, you know, set design and musical mm-hmm. composition and some writing categories. And uh, that was over my career, over the course of my career. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I should have them all lined up behind me, <laughs> yes, glistening. that would be pretty cool. <laughs> uh, in the light. But... Um, uh, no, they're all in a storage bin somewhere uh, right now.
0: Oh, my gosh. Do you introduce yourself as, hi, I'm John Marshall, the nine-time Emmy Award-winning TV producer?
2: Now because only, if you don't, you should. <laughs> oh, I, I only do that when I really want someone to listen to what I have to say. And I've done it once where I had an idea. I was I was working in television at the time, but I had an idea for something that I wanted these people to take this idea. And hmm. so I walked in with one of them and i just plunked it in the middle of the table before i started to talk and i said boom okay here's my idea and i just wanted them that was the only time i actually played the me card but generally i try i i don't lead with that um but uh i was recently over in india and i have a friend over there and whenever he introduces me that's what he says right. so I let, I let i let yeah. other people other people can do that I, it feels uh, doesn't feel fantastic for me to do it
1: can you tell us a little bit about the process of the idea to creating the script, to having the final product being a movie or a show, whatever it is.
2: Sure. Well, I mean, so I'm sure everyone has had an idea for a film at one time or another. So oftentimes you might watch a movie and think, oh, how did they ever make this movie? Like I could write a better (laughs) movie than this, but sometimes it's
1: like how crazy this guy is to write this movie. right yeah
2: where the heck did this guy come up with (laughs) this story but um so yeah you have an idea and then you start to flesh it out now screenplays have a very certain form and structure so it's not just uh you just dash it out like you would say a short story or something i mean there's all it has to it's a very tight structure it's a very controlled structure oftentimes which can be good and bad you have to follow certain conventions sometimes you don't always have to but um then it's it's really a question of writing out a draft and then redoing and reworking and polishing it and finding the, how how everything works together. At least that's how it works for me. I don't usually just write it straight through and say there, gold. Someone take this out of my hands. Uh, it usually is a is a process. It takes a while. And um, and then the lo- I mean the crazy thing about being a screenwriter. I mean I say screenwriter. I have worked there and sold screenplays, but I have never had a feature film produced. Because it's uh, there's so many scripts that get written that do not get sold. And there's so many scripts that get sold that don't get made. Mm. So like you can make a living as a screenwriter, not having your work produced, which is a little bit like being an architect who never has a building get made. It's not as fun. You can still get paid, but um, it
1: pays you in this case.
2: So you'll have us, let's say a producer might say, I need a story and Mm. they hire a writer. And you write the draft, and they love it, and they run it around town to raise the money, and they can't do it, and so it doesn't get made. I mean, that happens so often, it's mm. sad. But, that must uh, be so
0: frustrating, because like, even though you're being paid, that's most of the time people do things, especially creative things like that, because they love it and because they want to do it. So having spent so much time creating a script and then, yeah, it gets sold, but it's not actually being made and you can actually see it on the screen. That must be so frustrating.
2: Yeah. And sometimes you come really close, like super close where it just feels like this is it. We're right on the precipice. This is where it happens. And then one thing or another, you know, it's it's a very difficult uh, business. You got to have. And I think, like you said, Rosie, you got to do it because you love it. Mm. I had a friend one time in L.A. who said, ugh you know, it's so difficult to be a screenwriter. And I said, well, how much did you write today? And he said, nothing. Mm. And I said, well, then you weren't a screenwriter today. Like, yes. if you're writing, you're a screenwriter and you're not going to like this job anymore if you're paid for it, if you don't like it when you're not being paid for it. So I happen to really love all mm. that creative work. Now, I would love just to see the hard work and everything that, that, um, that I've done, watch it on the big screen or even yeah. the little screen. But... um you know, it's it's all it's all part of the process, and my path has led through Hollywood and into television and other places as well. So, uh, it's been an interesting creative journey.
1: Interesting, I feel that's a side of the world that we don't see or hear very often. You know, things yeah, happening no that we don't really know about. Um, well, and you and you
2: you might hear stories of someone who writes a script and sells it for big money and it's all everyone's you know praising this certain writer but like this real story that writer may have written for years and years that script may have been around forever like sometimes script lasts for 10 20 years and you know working to find a way to get it onto the screen it's because there's a lot of timing that has to go into these things with the director has to be available or the right actor has to be available or you know everyone's schedules have to meet up at just the right moment for things to happen Mm. so it's much easier not to have something happen than it is to make it happen. And, uh, but but that's also, that's part of the business. And uh, it's, if it were easy and super, you know, <laughs> if it were super easy, everyone would be doing it. So it's, yeah. uh, and, and yeah, even so. as it stands, a lot of people are doing it.
1: Hmm. Mm. Was traveling part of your life at this time? Was that a passion from when you were younger, from your parents maybe, or? No,
2: in fact, huh? um, I didn't really have the travel bug or even think about travel until I was married, and now we had two kids we were living mm-hmm. in maine, and my wife's father uh got suddenly sick and passed away mm. and Two weeks after that, my best friend was was uh murdered and so within two weeks, we had these two terrible losses and yeah. It was like grief central at my house. And so I sat down with my wife and, and I said, what do you want to do about this? Really, we didn't, we didn't know how to just go through the motions of life anymore. And she said, I want to go live in another country. Mm-hmm. And so I said, without really resisting it, I said, okay, like, let's just pick some countries and we'll narrow it down. So we grabbed a bottle of wine and we each picked five countries. <laughs> and then we started to, to, to see which ones got ruled out. We wanted a place that liked Americans. We wanted a place that was that was warm. Mm-hmm. We wanted a place that was not too expensive, uh, not too, too, too far away. Uh, we had a, a, ten, a, a, a list of 10 things and we ended up picking Portugal. Mm. And so we packed up our kids when they were seven and five, we sold our house and we went and lived in a little Portuguese fishing village for one year.
1: Oh wow. To, just,
2: to, just to go and heal and, and yeah. get over these two, these two <clears throat> terrible losses. Mm. And so that experience living in this little seaside village in the Algarve, little place called Salema, which is much much bigger now than it was back then. <laughs> it was about 250 people, most of whom were yeah. octopus fishermen. It was is really a
1: Is it on, on which side is it near Faro, near Sagres? Like on which side of Algarve is it?
2: It's on the western side just before you get to the westernmost tip and take a right-hand turn and head up toward Lisbon. Okay. It's right down there um uh right down there on the on the on the coast and we had a beautiful little house right on the water and we lived uh, right with all the other fishermen in this little tiny town of about 250 and it was it was a magical year and it really opened my eyes to the idea of of travel that was kind of the first time that we thought we got to do it as a family too so that was pretty great
0: Mm -hmm. that must have been some experience for your kids as well i mean at that age as well moving to a different country where they speak a different language and then into a small fishing village, that must have been quite a cultural (laughs) change and also eye-opening, but also great to kind of teach them that there is a whole world out there and it's not just America.
2: Oh yeah, and our kids went to the local uh, Portuguese public school. Uh, It was a little one-room classroom, had about 18 kids in it. And so we walked in one day and just said, I said to the teacher, hello, you know, far inglês," and she said, yes. I said, oh, well, can our children come to your school? And she said yes. And I said when? And she said tomorrow. Here we go. <laughs> and so we came. We came the next day. And I remember, you know, it was mostly taught in Portuguese. They learned the language really fast. Hmm. And I remember it was a, it was a parent teacher day sort of thing. And so I went in and sat with a teacher. And she said, Oh, our son's name is Logan. She said, Logan, he's such a nice boy. He's doing so well. You must be very proud of him. And we said, Yes, yes, we are. And she said, I just have one question for you. And I said, oh, what is that? And she said, what is his last name? Because they hadn't even taken, they hadn't oh. a- taken any records from him. They, oh, just, they just took his first name and they never asked him his last name. <laughs> And that's how loose it was. Like, in America, you need forms. You have to fill out all this kind of stuff. (laughs) There, it was just like, yeah, come on and sit down, and we'll talk about it in a couple months. You know, what's his last (laughs) name? I was like, oh, it's Marshall. Yeah, okay.
1: (laughs) So that was the the inception of traveling in your family and what gave you the travel bug, I guess.
2: It was. And, you know, it really... The thing about life that, that I've found is, like, so especially if you have kids a lot of life becomes really routine mm-hmm. like you you kind of go through the motions you're just repeating the same processes over now it's not bad it doesn't yeah. mean that it's uh it's not worth doing of uh, raising a family i mean it was wonderful I, I loved every minute of it but a lot of it just gets you get through these motions you're kind of repeating um, the same steps that you did and uh as time went by 10 years from that time passed we came back from portugal we got a place. The kids are in school. Ten years go by, and as 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 life happens, you know, um, my wife and I uh, were having trouble, and we're kind of drifting apart. And um, kids are growing up, and I was just I wasn't feeling like creatively inspired at work, and I was just feeling kind of dead, you know. I was, uh, and so um, my wife wanted for her birthday to go to a yoga retreat, which wasn't really my thing. And I said, well, all right, we'll go. And I, I, I loved it. I had this amazing yoga retreat where I just felt so centered and focused and great. And um, even though like we were having trouble, I was flying back on the airplane. I was looking out the window. I was feeling about as good as I've ever felt in my life. I was looking mm. at the beautiful kind of Windex blue water of the Caribbean down below. And as I was sitting there, three words popped into my head. And those words were year of service. Mm. And when those three words popped into my head, I just instantly knew that that this, that this, if I say these words out loud, they are going to happen. Mm. Because my wife and I had talked about taking a trip around the world many times in our in our time together but it's never the right time for a trip around the yeah. world
1: yeah. you know
2: it's always too expensive or so as
1: a good reason yeah
2: yeah or you know y- your career is rolling or you know it's too dangerous in the world or something is happening your neighbors don't want you to go something <laughs> some reason you shouldn't go and that but but ours you know it's an, it's expensive to go sightsee your way around the world but this idea of year of service i thought if we do a year of service around the world, it probably won't cost all that much at all. Mm-hmm. Mm. We'll be able to volunteer with organizations that need us. We'll, have, we'll be doing good work with local people. And uh, in, in some cases, it might not cost anything. And we could go and, and, and really connect with the world. It'll probably be more meaningful than looking at a bunch of museums and, and taking some sightseeing tours. And so I was just sitting with those words in my mouth uh, not saying them. Cause I was a little bit nervous. You know, I actually felt if I say these things like, we're, do I want a year of service? Like, is that what uh-huh. I even want? <laughs> and so when we stepped off the plane, uh, in Atlanta, we were walking to get some lunch and we sat down and I just said them. And, and it was like, at that point, my wife just like, she loved the idea and we just glommed onto it. And, uh, wow. so we decided to take a, uh, a trip around the world to, um, to to volunteer our way with our kids now this is 10 years later so now our kids are 17 and 15 Mm -hmm. and uh and that's what we did
1: that's so cool
0: how did you find the volunteer work did you just turn up somewhere and figure it out or did you kind of organize it all before you went uh
2: no and so like um this this story of our trip around the world if anyone's listening and is curious about it i wrote it as a book And it got published as a book called Wide Open World. It's from Mm -hmm. Random House and uh, it's a hardback book out there. So you could check it out. But Wide Open World was the name of our it's uh, how volunteering around uh, how volunteering around the world changed one family's lives forever. That was the Mm. that's the sort of subtitle. And so as I say in the book, I had a very um, unscientific way of finding volunteer opportunities. And I literally would write the word volunteer and then whatever country it was, and then in google and hit you know search mm. so if when we were going to costa rica we just type in volunteer costa rica and see what came up and look around and really like there's so many opportunities to volunteer yeah um you have to look around but the thing for us was our budget was so low so we had 8 dollars a day per person wow so that was to eat three meals a day and sleep somewhere and do anything fun Uh, that's what we had for money. So we had to find a place that would let us come for that kind of a budget. So it took a little looking around, but it can definitely be done. Sometimes some countries are super cheap. Some countries are more expensive, but um, you just have to look around, type it in, look around.
1: Yeah, I mean, we are currently in the process of doing those research, actually. So yeah, we are looking for places to volunteer where in exchange of some work, they give you accommodation or some food. So yeah, we totally can relate to what you went through. (laughs) Because we're doing exactly the same right now. How did your kids uh, react was excited? Were they? I don't want to do that. That's weird teenager thing.
2: (laughs) Well, yeah, I mean, our so our son was going to be a uh, he was going to miss his second semester of his junior year. Hmm. And, uh, and our daughter was going to miss the second semester of her freshman year. Mm -hmm. And so our son was really on board he was psyched to do it he kind of was right away thought it was a good idea our daughter she was she was pretty much you know at the time she's spending a lot of time on her phone and uh and a lot of really really close friends and so it was a it was a bit harder to get her completely Mm -hmm. on board but then eventually she she kind of she saw it as something that would be fun and kind of dove right in and we didn't have any trouble with that at all i mean i would imagine there's we did see people on our trip who were traveling with teenage kids who looked like they were in hell. Yeah. <laughs> and 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 we really thought, "Oh my goodness, thank the Lord that that is not us because mm-hmm. we our, our trip was not like that. Like our kids were down to travel, they were very adventurous. So we one of our stops was in New Zealand and we did um we did some woofing um, which is working on organic farms and that uh, most of that is free. You work and they give you food and mm-hmm. And lodging in exchange for a certain amount of work per day well at home our kids they didn't want to do any work you know if i'd go out we had a big yard and we had leaves in the fall and i'd say hey we have to go rake up all the leaves and there's there's like a weekend's worth of work if you work all the time it's so Mm -hmm. much work and after about five minutes of raking one of them would say how much longer are we going to do this (laughs) And I'd say, yeah. well, look around you. I mean, there's leaves everywhere. So they were not willing workers necessarily at home. <laughs> but on the road, they were because it was the job. And that's yeah. how we ate. And so I remember seeing my daughter. She was in with an iron and she was ironing a bed skirt for this, this, this sort of retreat area that we were staying at. And and I, I just remarked to myself that like this is not only the first time I've seen her iron a bed skirt, but it's the first time I've seen her iron anything. Yeah. And so, so to see her there working like, and I, and, and I said, Hey, good job, Jack. And she's like new people coming in. I got to get this place looking good. And she was just, she was down and she was, she was having fun with it. And, and that was kind of, it was one of the greatest things about the trip that it wasn't just mm. us sloughing our way around looking at, you know, paintings or something. We were actually there with people doing stuff and watching our kids like in Thailand, we watched our kids teach their own english classes so, you know and they're they're only 15 years old and 17 and here they are they've got a class for an hour of 40 kids who speak thai and a little english and they're coming up with games and you know and teaching them and i'm watching from the doorway and feeling like you know if they were home they would be in class yeah. killing time and goofing off and who knows what but like here they're teaching the class and I thought, wow, this, this, is, this is really a, uh, a great gift for them as young people to be exposed to the world and to see that they're capable of a whole bunch of stuff out there in the world. So it was really, it was awesome to see them out there.
1: Yeah, they must have grown up so much in the matter of six months. The, the, the growth must have been amazing. And also, like you just said right now, seeing the possibilities, Because we are usually stuck into our reality. We believe that this, you know, a certain amount of things that we can do in life based on education and social class and stuff like that. And suddenly going out there and I can teach. I've never thought about it. I can teach. I can, you've been helping monkeys I've seen in one of the country. Like there's so much things I can do. And at this age also, when you're, looking for yourself, you don't know what you're going to be doing of your in your life, you're going to college, but you don't even know why. Like, this is so great, I think, to really evolve and, and, and build your future self.
2: Yeah, and it was something where um, I had someone I heard someone was in New York, and they were trying to pass a law that made it illegal to take your kids out of school for any length of time, like a longer period of time. And mm-hmm. I was kind of asked for a comment on this you know as a counterpoint and I said my comment was I honestly believe that travel anything beats in school anything all the time yeah. 100%. because you you just like when my daughter is out like in Costa Rica like you mentioned we're down working with monkeys well when my daughter is out walking you know in the in the uh, the uh, anteater cage And she's coming in to solve the problem because the anteater isn't eating and she's trying to solve this problem like i'm looking at her like well you can sit in a science class and talk about an anteater or you can hold one you know and and figure out how you're going to feed them like i just think that experiential thing you know i have a lot of people contact me and they say i spend a lot of time now uh, working with orphan kids around the world uh, but people call me and say how do I get involved in that? I, I, I have a passion for it. How do I do it? And I say, well, have you ever met an orphan child? Mm. And they'll say, um, no. And I said, well, you should meet them. Because if you think you love them now, you know, wait till you actually meet them. And it's the same with the rainforest or the, uh, you know, if, if you have a passion for income inequality or social justice, like if you get out in the world. And you go to a rainforest, you will want to save it, yeah, because it's so impactful to see it with your own eyes. You know, if you go to an orphanage and you see those kids, it's much different than looking at a picture um, on somebody's video that says "help help the orphans." When you know them as people, when you see them, look in their eyes, like see an endangered animal, like you'll want to save it because it's easy to fall in love with things that we actually meet. That's what we learned on the road.
1: I could not agree more. Like we went to a rainforest. Rosie volunteered in an orphanage in Panama. Uh, so we can really relate to your words. And I 100% agree. And I think also one of the... Personally, like traveling for me changed me in a sense that I had so many cliches about people's lifestyle. About, you know, oh, they believe in this religion, so they must be XYZ or like all those things I had in my head, like preconceptions and everything, because the way I grew up and seeing actually all those people living just a different way, but they had the same purpose in life, just wanted to be happy and have people around them and be loved and everything. And I've realized that we were much more similar than what the TV, what the news is trying to tell us, you know, like we always try, trying to be separated and divided when, Traveling is life changing for that to unite us and be respectful and more tolerant from each other i think
2: well there was a there's a great uh, a story that happened. Um, I was traveling to India and before I left, I was traveling alone. Um, my mom pulled me aside and she said look i I feel like I really should say this uh, i would i wouldn't I, I, before you go, I just have to say." watch out for the Muslims,
1: Mm.
2: she said. And I said, um, okay, like you have said what you have to say, I will will now go to India. And so when I got to India, I was in this place, I was working at an elephant sanctuary and there was a guy who was my guide, a young guy, and he was a Muslim guy and he was riding me around on his moped and trying to show me the town. Mm. And so he said, hey, do you know anything about cricket? And I said, No, I don't really know anything about cricket. And so he said, Well, here, let's go. We'll play a game. I know where there's a game going. So he drove down through this area of the town that was not the nicest area. But we came to this open area in a courtyard. And there's lots of young people playing cricket. So he stopped the game and said, Hey, this guy is from America. He wants (laughs) to learn to play. And so they all were keen to teach me this game. And i played baseball so they're lobbing it to me and i'm killing it i'm just like (laughs) smashing it up and so pretty soon around the edges all these people start coming to the windows and cheering these mothers (laughs) these mothers are coming to the window and cheering and fathers are coming out with folded chairs and sitting there to watch this game And, and then pretty soon they start bringing out tables with food and they're making a little kind of a block party for my cricket, you know, initiation. <laughs> and kids are down running around and just, and they put music on. And there was like this impromptu party in this, in so this cool. sort of area. Uh, so I said, hey, could I, I have my camera. So I said, can I get a picture? And I set it up. So there's these, you know, a bunch of old men And all the women looking, you know, not wanting to pose and the kids all looking like champions and holding their bats. And I'm there, the big tall guy in the back standing there. And I took this picture and I sent it to my mom and I said, Mom, like, I'm so grateful for your warning or I would have been I I wouldn't have been on guard for this block party that happened, uh, broke (laughs) out in my honor. So, I mean, I totally agree with you, Jeremy, where it's like, I think we you can live in isolation and you can hear. Uh, all the scary things about the world or a certain place or a certain race or a certain culture. And that really, when you get there, I mean, I know there are places probably you wouldn't want to go in the world. It's probably true, but for the most yeah. part we found, and I've found in travel, like people are generally warm and welcoming. They want you to enjoy your stay. Like they're interested to meet you. And if you're interested to meet them and show up with an attitude like that, most of the time you're going to have an amazing experience.
1: Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, we we spend too much time focusing on fear and on yeah, all those negative sides. And it's usually coming from people that have never left the country, never even been to those places. It's just I've seen on a book, I've seen on a newspaper that right. XYZ is happening over there. You should be careful. It's like I mean you can you know, take a wrong turn in your own neighborhood and Shit's gonna happen probably probably you you don't need to go that far for
2: yeah we were traveling from new zealand on our trip to thailand and at the time there was some unrest in this place called democracy square over there in um in um bangkok and there people had been shot there were people that have they set up tires as a barricade and the the announcer came on the television station in australia said the government of Australia has just raised the threat level to do not travel to Thailand. Mm. And so we were sitting in our hotel like, well, what do we do? Like, we have a ticket. Do we go? Do we mm. not go? Like, we have young kids. What do we do? And we thought about it. It was not an you know easy decision. In the end, we said, let's go. Because oftentimes these things are so localized yeah. that the media shows you the one place that's the danger. Mm. But the city is huge. Yeah. And so we went and flew into Bangkok. There was actually a curfew. They brought us in under the cover of darkness in a taxi. Like we went to the hotel. There wasn't one person at this hotel. And like, we did not see a single show of violence. We didn't see anything like in our Mm -hmm. time there because it was in this one little square. Mm -hmm. And I think the media is good at that in like um, enlarging one isolated problem then you think you, you look at a fire on tv you think the whole city's on fire but it's really that one building and the, yeah. of which there's a million buildings in the city so um it was a lesson for us to say uh oftentimes as you're traveling you obviously want to be smart like you don't want to do anything that's reckless or dangerous but oftentimes um if you go we found um that even in times where things sounded like they were going to be terrible, they just weren't. They just mm. weren't that way. We just didn't see what it was that everything everyone was so worked up about. But it plays mm. well on TV because you need drama like that on TV or else people are going to turn it off. If you said yeah. everything's fine in the world today, you just shut it off. So you got to say everything's, you know, going to hell. it gotta be catchy. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. got to be bad.
1: How was going back to, quote unquote, real life after this amazing experience?
2: Yeah, you know, it was really um there is a certain re-entry for anyone that's ever traveled. If you travel extensively for a long period of time, if you go on a vacation for a week, mm. you can come back and kind of slide right back in. Because really the, the vacation's almost over before it begins. You know, after a couple of days you're already thinking, Ugh, only three more days of my vacation. Mm. But when you're on a when you're on a long trip, you don't even think about returning and you get in the mindset of just living on the road or in mm. different places. So by the time we came back, you do get a chance to kind of reorientate your brain, and it can be tough. I mean, we would see we lived with people who really had um, had nothing. This was not a glamorous trip. We we were in some places where there's a lot of poverty, and we really grew to love you know a lot of these people. And so to come back into into a place like America, you know, the Western world, where there's so much abundance yeah. and really so much luxury, uh, it, it can take a bit of. It can take a bit of getting used to. I, I don't put it all. I don't put all that down as a way of living, um, because around the world, I found, uh, I mean, everyone wants to come to America or the UK, or you know, they they would love to come and have the opportunity, because mm-hmm. in a lot of these places, there just is not opportunity. Um, so there's a lot of good in that, but there's also a lot of um, just crazy abundance, uh, which is which is. It uh, can be hard to take take in, but I did find after a while I was not as interested in um, my work. Mm-hmm. I, I kind of felt that in traveling and seeing a different way of living, that I had been um, my mind had been opened up to the possibility of doing something different other than you know creating another TV show or doing something like that, which I loved as a job. But it started to feel less and less uh, important to mm-hmm. me. And, you know, and quite perfectly, honestly, getting another Emmy statue just really had no appeal Mm. Um, because these it's funny. When I was traveling, we were at an orphanage and I met these two. uh, Well, I met lots of kids, but I had the picture of these two girls that I loved and I had them on my on my uh, computer kind of taped near my computer. So I just wouldn't forget them. You Mm. know, I had their picture taped up. And I thought one day about, uh, these statues and like, when I look at these statues, they don't make me feel anything. I don't feel Mm. proud. I don't, I don't feel like, I don't remember the work even. I just see them. They're like a, you know, like a lamp or something. They're just like another thing that you have to dust every once in a while, you know, if they're out and about. Mm. But when I look at the faces like of these kids, I feel so, um, emotional, you know, I feel something real about them. Uh, so like, I just think whether if, you know, it, it started to feel to me that if I could go out and help another kid or help in another way with some people in the world who were struggling, that would mean so much more to me than going out and getting another one of these statues. Mm-hmm. So like, that's actually um, what I did. I decided that I was done with the television business and I went off in search of something else.
1: That's three really, that's two things um, <laughs> <laughs> no something that I've noticed after going travelling to a uh, poor country is when you come back home, you have about a week where you're full of good intentions, you're like you know i'm I don't know, I'm gonna raise money for this, I'm gonna collect that and send it there uh you feel really grateful to have all this food, you feel really grateful for the water that you can drink from the tap. And then life comes back and you know, you just, slowly, it fades away and you, you have the good memories but all those intentions fade away and you don't do anything with it and stuff like that. So I think that that happens for a vast majority of people traveling, I believe. Um, happened to me personally Mm -hmm. so really that you actually thought about it but did it and took action really I want to encourage you for that because I know know it's not easy and I know most people don't have the courage and the the, I don't know the what but everything to do is so really like that's amazing that you actually took action and went for it and it's also really courageous because I mean you still have to live and eat and, you know, have a shelter and everything. And seeing like, I'm throwing everything away, my carry and stuff to pursue that. I don't know how I'm going to be making it. But I'll figure it out. It takes courage.
2: Oh, yeah. uh, Maybe Um, I had though, so there was a time this was it took about four years. So we came back, I was we're back for about four years. But then my my wife and i split up we went on that trip we'd been having problems and i was thinking that the trip around the world that we did together would bring us back together Mm -hmm. and it did for a while but it really didn't solve the underlying issues and in the end after about four years we split up now Mm -hmm. right around that time about a year later after that my youngest child my daughter went to college and i was alone in the house Mm And not too long after that, my the the company I worked for was sold and my position was I was kind of downsized from this position. So the three things that I would kind of depended on my wife, my kids, my work were gone Mm -hmm. and that I had to make a decision at that point. And so if it's courageous, I'm not sure. But like, I just thought I can't live in this house. It's really cold here uh, in Maine. In the winter time and i didn't want to live in the house in the winter by myself i just thought i would i'd go mad you know so i decided kind of on a whim again that i'd sell my house i would buy a one-way ticket to india and i would write another book because at this time my book this wide open world book was just about to come out and i thought i'll go write a follow-up book about volunteering my way around india Mm. So, it was kind of practical. Like I was kind of I wasn't going to say I'm going to go save the world. I was really going to think like okay, I'm going to switch gears. I have to I have to reinvent myself now. Mm-hmm. My life has changed here. And so I went to India and my plan was to spend just like the wide open world trip was to spend a certain amount of time volunteering my way around the country. There's all kinds of different states. I didn't know a lot about India, but I found it very interesting on my first trip. And my plans just almost immediately fell apart because um, I got really sick. Mm. And this was, I had a fungal infection in my sinuses, which was so bad that um, I would be walking through the streets and I would smell something that would make me want to gag and throw up. But it was the smell coming out of my own head. Oh, God. That was, that was the, it was like the rot inside of my sinus from this fungus.
0: Oh my goodness.
2: <laughs> I know, it was horrible. So I needed to get well um, and I was alone and that's really hard to travel and get sick. If you're traveling alone and you get okay. sick, it's no fun. Mm. So I, um, I called the only people I knew in India personally was, um, they were at this orphanage in North India. We went there on that first wide open world trip. We stayed there for a month. So I hadn't seen them in four years, but I called him up and I said, can I just come and get well at the orphanage? Hmm. And he said, sure, just get anywhere close. We'll come pick you up. So I got on a bus for 15 hours. That's how far away I was. I I was delirious. Like, I mean, truly, I was not well at all. And I went here and my plan was to stay at the orphanage for two weeks. Mm -hmm. And I ended up staying there for six months. I stayed there the entire length of my trip. Wow. Because I just, I mean, these kids at the orphanage, so um, Rosie, you've been to an orphanage, you know, some people yeah. who hear the word orphan, you might think of them as like, you know, David Copperfield or something where these sad, dirty, you know, desperate, pathetic, yeah. you know, urchins. And like, <clears throat> that's what I kind of had thought before I went to one. But these kids are not like that at all. Like the kids mm. that at this place. They were happy. They were so full of life and so full of love for me Mm. that they kind of brought my, uh, you know, joy for living and, uh, uh, and just brought me back to health. And afterwards I just, I couldn't imagine leaving. Mm. And so I stayed, I stayed for the entire length of my trip and kind of got into orphanage life. And I started doing things like, um, using my production skills to raise money, for different things that they needed at the orphanage. So I really kind of switched gears at that point and decided that rather than work for corporations or large accounts and things, I'll work for these kids. I'll work for orphan kids. And that's what I've did ever since. This was 2014 and I've been doing that ever since.
1: Wow. And pretty much from the beginning, like when you spend the first six months there, did you think I'm going to be doing that for six months, and then, again, I'll go back to a normal life? Or do you think this is it? Like, this is my, I don't know, calling, whatever you want to call it, but like this is what I want to be doing for the rest of, at least for a few years, for the rest of my life, maybe.
2: Yeah, no, I thought there was actually, I mean, I... I grew to love these kids like my own kids. Mm. And there was a time towards the end of my stay there where I was sitting with a couple of the young girls from the nursery. They were we were watching a movie in the movie room and I had they were sitting on my lap and one of them's playing with my hair and the other one's holding my hand. And one of them turns and looks at me and she didn't say this accusingly. She just said it very straight. But she said um, she called me uncle and she said, uncle, how can you leave us? Like, she, she was just asking the question, like, like for my sake, like, how am mm-hmm. I going to be able to leave her? Mm. And I really, I sat there and thought about it. And I'm like, that is a really good question. You know, I just thought to myself mm. as this stupid, you know, f- watching Frozen for the 10th time or something on the, <laughs> on, the, on, the, on the movie screen. But I really did think about it and thought, yeah, how do you just up and leave people that you've fallen in love with? You know, mm-hmm. do you just, and I decided right then that this was the work I was going to do. I mean, this feels like, the, for me, it feels like far more meaningful work than, you know, making another uh, show or uh, any of that kind of stuff. Like, it just it just is so uh, personally rewarding. In many mm-hmm. ways, it's almost, like, selfish. You know, people say, oh, that's so kind of you to give. And I'm like, no, like, I get so much from mm-hmm. these kids that it's really, in a little bit of uh, way, like, I'm doing it for myself yeah. because it feels so good for me to do it. Now, it's nice that this kind of ex- exchange i've come to find you know you hear people talk about service and they say oh when you serve others it feels so good to serve and blah de blah but unless you actually experience it and feel it for yourself for me i can say if you ask these kids who do you think gives more uncle john or you they would say well we're not giving anything like uncle john gives us so much but if you ask me i would say the exact opposite i would mm. say oh my gosh i'm whatever i'm doing for them these kids give me so much so it's really the perfect exchange where everyone feels like they're giving nothing and everyone feels like they're getting everything mm. and that's rare to find in the world most yeah. of the time it's like we say it's win-win yes, this is way. almost this is almost beyond that like it just almost feels like both sides of the equation feel like they're getting it all mm. and that's a really good way to live that that feels to me um uh, it also takes a lot of the focus away from me. You know, for a long time in the television business, it was about me. It was about how do I get more whatever, money or, or awards or acclaim or success or viewers, or, you know, how do I get that for me so I can grow my career? This is not about that at all. This is all about them. And that is very freeing. You know, for me, it's been very freeing to just say like, I'm taking my focus away from myself and I'm putting it on someone who really needs it much more than i need more attention like Mm. these kids need that kind of love and support and so to me it feels like this has been a good switch for me
1: how do you go from volunteering there and i guess in exchange of your time you're getting a shelter and and some food to actually that becoming your life because you i mean you, you you still have needs you know you still need to make enough living to to live your life and stuff like that how 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 can that become your career
2: well so at the time so i got sort of lucky in that right as that was starting my book was coming out so Mm -hmm. i actually lived for five years off the money from my book oh so i didn't have to worry about money so i didn't i didn't take any money i didn't make any money outside of that so that was that was great. And that like, but I also will like, I would just get a certain amount and I would just spend it throughout the year. And then I would get another certain amount and I would, I wasn't saving or making, I wasn't mm-hmm. thinking about that. I was just kind of pulling on forward with this idea. Now, um, since then I have found a way with a new project that I'm working on where it's kind of a miracle, but like where someone is supporting my salary for me to do this work. So it's mm-hmm. like a, uh, an angel investor, like a, uh, yeah. uh, partner, a friend who is supporting me to do this work. So, um, I feel super grateful about that, but yeah, I mean, how do you find, I think if you have your passion and you say like, this is, this is what I want. This is what I want to do. Um, then oftentimes you can find a way to have that work turn into a, uh, a job. I was recently just talking to my brother about this and saying, he's trying to think what he wants to do. He's got to switch jobs. And I was saying, you know, for me, I sat down at the, uh, at the beginning of the pandemic and thought, OK, I want to turn this really into a career. Hmm. Um, so I thought of, you know, what do you want to do? I want to help orphan children. So I sought out organizations that did that sort of thing and hmm. ended up making connections um, to where now I am doing, you know, almost better than I've ever done. And my focus is 100 percent on uh, orphan kids. So that is that feels very, very lucky for me
1: before we talk about your organization um just a quick thing about the book uh i've seen you did a ted talk as well about volunteering around the world when when did that happen in a timeline and i don't know how how do you end up doing a ted talk
2: (laughs) (laughs) yeah um That happened. It happened right before it was after the trip, but before the book came out. Mm. And that was actually it was fortunate that that happened because then that was a selling point for me to go in and say, um, hey, and if you want to know about this book, you can just watch um, this little TED talk. So, um, you know, TED is something there's 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 the levels of TED. So there's the TED stage, which is in California. That's the main one that you might have Bill Gates and Kofi Annan and. And Malala might speak at all in the same week. and But then there's TED, what's called TEDx events all over yeah. the world. You may have them in England. Um, and a lot of times, if people are interested in doing a TED talk, you need to have an idea that's worth sharing. But then you need to reach out to your local TEDx coordinator because mm. they're looking for people who want to do mm. this kind of thing. And so you need to send them a note, go onto their website, find and say like, hey, I have a talk that would be about X. And if it works in with what they're doing and you can convince them that you might make a good uh, speaker, uh, you might be on the TEDx stage next. So uh, there's lots of opportunities for that to get out there and, um, and uh, tell the world
1: what you're up to. Interesting. Something I'm, I'm getting from this conversation, I, I was just thinking about it, like what I'm getting from you is um, when you have an ID, when you want to do something, there is a way to do it. Uh, you know, I, I feel I, we have often excuses not to do stuff. Uh, I can't do that because I don't know about it. I'm not knowledgeable. I, I'm not going to reach out to this person because she's going to say no. I don't know. We, we are really good human beings at creating excuses and stories not to do stuff. <laughs> right. And, and damn, I, that's something I know, but listening to you really is giving me the thing of things are possible you can make it happen you can live this life you can be on a ted talk if you want just reach out like go out there and find a way to do it it's not that hard it just takes dedication and not listening to this voice saying you'll never be able to do that
2: well and one thing i say in the ted talk actually now that i think of it was um if you want to take a trip around the world if you want to do that um the greatest obstacle you'll face is deciding to do it. Mm. And that is not saying dreaming of one day doing it or desiring to do it. It's deciding that you are doing it because once you make a decision, everything else that happens beyond that is just details. Mm. So if you've decided, in fact, we decided we were taking that trip. So what we did was we bought tickets. (laughs) Once we bought tickets to Costa Rica, those are non-refundable tickets. <laughs> it's real. And, yeah. So like, okay, now we are going we have a date. Mm-hmm. It's starting. So then we went in and I talked to my boss about getting a leave of absence. He said, no, so I quit. <laughs> but that's just a detail. Like it takes a bit of courage, yeah. but then we thought, okay, so how are we going to, you know, pay for this? And so we took out a home equity loan. You know, like mm-hmm. it does cost money to do something like that, but that's just a detail to sort out. And then what about the kids in school? Well, we talked to the principal and some teachers gave them a pass with a, like a home study. If they kept a journal in a Spanish speaking country, they could pass Spanish, Mm -hmm. but other teachers said, no, you'll have to make it up. So we said, fine, we'll make it up. But once it's the deciding it's, and that's true almost in anything that you'll ever do. We found if you want to get married, if you want to start a new job, if you want to buy a house, if you want to reinvent yourself, whatever, start a podcast. You have to decide you're going to do it and then start. Mm. And everything else that will come after that is like a detail to sort out. It's, it's not the thing that's going to stop you. What's going to stop you is you not deciding to do it. So you just have to make that decision mm. and then do it.
0: I have to say I love your attitude towards this because a lot of people are scared of selling the house, of taking the kids out of school, to do anything that's scary or different or whatever it is. But I love your attitude of just, well, if you want to do a TED Talk, just reach out and talk to them. If you want to go and travel, book a ticket. If you want to t- 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 take your kids out of school, take your kids out of school. I love that you just just do it. And like, yes, you said, you know, there are consequences. It might be scary. It might be daunting. And it's big decisions that you're making. But ultimately, if you want to do it, just do it. And you're the only one stopping you. And I think that's the biggest thing I'm taking from this conversation is just you can literally do anything. You've gone from... Well, well, we'll talk about the whole recap afterwards, but like the amount that you've told us already, you've just completely flipped, this, like, flipped your life upside down. You've completely changed what you're doing just because you decided to, just because you wanted to. And I think this is going to be so inspirational for people listening of being like, well, there's this thing I've always wanted to do. Maybe now after listening to to this guy talking about this thing. I'll, you know, I think you're going to help people just to do it. Honestly, that's the biggest thing I'm getting from this conversation mm-hmm. so far.
2: Well, and, you know, and one thing, Rosie, I think that is so true that we lose sight of is that this is a very temporary experience we have here. Mm. You know, you two are living your lives over there in the UK. You're, I mean, I could guess how old you are, but you are however old you are, it doesn't <laughs> matter. But like, really, it's so uncertain in this life. Mm. And this is something that happened when my wife's father passed away and then my best friend was killed. Like, i the mantra I had for that year was, life is uncertain. Mm. Like, we do not know what's gonna happen in the future. But like, we do know, if you guys take your adventure in South America, like you're talking about, you will have an amazing experience. There is no way at the end of that trip, on your yeah. deathbed, that you're gonna say, "Oh, Jeremy, yeah. I regret that trip to South America. Yeah. Why didn't we? Why didn't we stay here in the UK and work more? Yeah. Like that would have been smarter." Like yeah. you are. Like I. Can, I know for a fact that when I'm old and I'm sitting around with my kids and we're talking about memories, our memories will go to the time in Portugal where we lived there for a year, the time we took that trip around the world, Mm. my time over in India um, working with those kids, it's those moments where you kind of step out of your routine. You know, (laughs) um, when we were thinking about taking this trip around the world for the first time, it struck me where, so in my regular life, I would go to the office. And one day I was sitting at my desk in the office and I literally could not remember getting there. <laughs> I couldn't remember leaving the house. Mm. I couldn't remember driving in my car. I couldn't remember walking from the car to my desk. And here I'm sitting at the desk. I just, I couldn't recall any of it. It's like mm. it happened on autopilot. Yeah. And then we were in Costa Rica one day and we had to, I had to leave this kitchen area, um, which has cages in Costa Rica. It the place is an animal sanctuary for monkeys. So the monkeys live free outside the cage and you are inside the cage. Literally you're in the cage and the monkey's on the outside, but the monkeys want to get in. (laughs) They really want to get in. Even if they look like they don't, they might hang around the bars of the cage and just be casually looking around. (laughs) But the second you open that door, they're really fast. They will try and beeline in and get in because they want to eat the food and smash the plates or whatever the monkeys do and so to get out you had to stand on your guard get all your muscles poised like you know, your legs firing your fingers <laughs> firing then you had to open the latch and step outside and close it in one motion because the monkeys are all on like <laughs> lunging to get in and it struck me as like this is the exact opposite of my life at home yeah at home i leave the house and drive to work and walk in the hallway i don't even remember doing it here the the that few brief seconds take like it feels like it takes an hour for me to open that door. You know, it's everything's in slow motion. Everything is so, so um, telescoped down and so, so uh, in stark relief, everything's in crazy detail that I, I, that, that time that we spent traveling around the world seemed to last for such a long time mm-hmm. because life is now it's fresh again. Like it's new. You You have all kinds of new ways of seeing all kinds of new things to smell and taste and touch. And it's just like really is life just to repeat the same flavors and the same experiences and the same sights again and again recycle them because it's safer i think that's really a lot of people yeah. make that choice because it's safer yeah and it's a risk mm-hmm. to to leave a job or to travel to a new country or to spend money but i don't know i think in the end of the day we're all going to end up in the same spot so <laughs> yeah. we should we should just give it a chance like go out and live something try something and uh see what it can bring us Uh, it it usually my experience has been something good Hmm. i am bloody loving this conversation (laughs) (laughs) are
1: we we gonna book our flight literally like when we finish this
0: (laughs) yes um but something i wanted to mention so jeremy's written down like i said he's a good researcher you raised more than seventy thousand dollars for orphanages that you were helping at, or was it where you were working at the time
2: Right. Well, so I started to raise um, I started to raise money for for this orphanage that I was living at. And it it hadn't I'd never done this before. And I I thought but I had done production work. So, I mean, just to tell you a story, the um, the first time I did this, we were trying to raise money for um, to build 100 desks for the orphan school. So they needed 100 desks. The desks cost forty dollars each to make. Mm-hmm. And so I needed four thousand dollars. So I'd never done this before. I don't know if four thousand is a lot or a little, but I thought let's try it. You know, let's. So I made a video with the kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, that you know, that's my background. So like, I made the kids are amazing, and I made this mm. super engaging video, and we raised in two days four thousand dollars. No, wow. no problem. So then I said to the kids, like, let's make another video, and shoot for ten. Why not? So uh, we made another video, and in a week's time, we had the ten thousand. Now, the director of the orphanage um, said to me, "Okay, let's stop because I don't want the kids to look like beggars. And we've this is way beyond what we thought we were going to have. And I said I did for one day. I stopped. And then I came to him. (laughs) I'm like, look, we've got so much momentum. Like we're the number one site on this on this one platform. We were number one ranked at the very first homepage out of 10,000 available uh, campaigns. We were number one so mm-hmm. i was like we're getting attention from people we don't even know like yeah. let me make one more video mm-hmm. and then we'll just see i won't even ask for money so mm-hmm. i made a video with the kids where we had them it was like a. it just said you know we raised our money how high can it go we don't know but right now we're happy and mm-hmm. and i had them dance like a dance video to this happy by F- uh pharrell williams oh right. yeah and and uh but it was super stylized and like each kid got their own little moment in the sun. And I set up, I had these little sliding tracks. really high production values. It just looked like a million bucks. And so the people on the platform, the fundraising platform, loved it. They featured it in their newsletter. Oh. And we raised $40,000 wow. in like no time. So it wow. just struck, it struck me as like, wow, you know, if you can tell a story yeah. that touches people emotionally, you can do anything. You really Mm. you can do so. And that's what advertisers on TV try and do. That's what movies try and do. But but for for fundraisers, it's like everyone's trying to raise money. Everyone and their mother is out trying to raise money. Mm. But which is the which are the ones that actually cause you to reach in your wallet or purse and take out the dough and give it to them? Mm. It's the ones that touch you like for real in some way, in a positive way, not usually like misery but like uh, at least I find if you see something that really inspires you emotionally in a in a positive way I think ooh I want to be a part of this like I want more yeah. of that in my life so that that, that that moment was was kind of the time now over the next 6 years I raised actually uh, was part of over 2 million dollars worth of campaigns for orphan projects all over the world I started I started people when you when you're successful raising money online everyone <laughs> wants to talk to you because it's hard yeah. Yeah. So pe- people and you know I had a guy in Zimbabwe call me up and say, "Hey, we could really use another girls' home for our orphanage, and we want to build ten of them, so we need a hundred thousand dollars." And you know I said, "Well, let's do one, and we'll we'll raise ten thousand and we'll build it. And if you do a good job with it, maybe we'll do another one." Mm. And uh, so we did. We raised the money, and then I I went down there and looked at it, and you know we only ended up doing the one, but it's like uh, that really became something. I thought, "Oh, I'm good at this." Like, this is something where all my, I saw all my TV training at that point was just practice for the stuff I'm doing now. It was just getting my skills up so I could do this kind of work.
1: I understand now your title for the nonprofit you created. So you created a nonprofit called Teacher, and your title is Founder and Chief Storyteller. And I completely understand where the storyteller is coming from now.
2: (laughs) (laughs) That's right. Well, and that's what I see is like um, my job is to tell the story
1: Hmm.
2: and that that's what, you know, the more I do that, the more people know about it. Really, most of this kind of stuff, there's so many great causes in the world. I don't care what you're passionate about. There's going to be a dozen great causes or more um, to help them. But so really it becomes a question of, well how do they even know about you? You got to tell stories. So like stories are the things that connect us all. It's why people listen to these podcasts like it's that connection to people when we emotionally engage with each other and we connect, then that's how that's how that, that is the way that we can change the world. That is that that is the way it's it's the it's it's the only way it ever happens. you got to connect with a story. We all come around a story. So that's my job is to is to is to tell the tale. <laughs>
0: And what inspired you to create your own nonprofit rather than help other peoples? What was the main kind of driving force there?
2: Well, it, it all kind of happened uh, by uh, accident. Um, <laughs> so I was living at this <laughs> orphanage. So after that first visit to the orphanage, mm-hmm. um, I went back. I lived at that orphanage seven months a year for the next six years. Wow. So that was more my home over there than back here. And my daughter, who, who, um, you know, she wasn't crazy about that. Like she wanted me around here. She Mm -hmm. said to me at one point in what's got to be the most, um, the most stinging rebuke of a father ever. But she said to me, um, "Isn't it great, Dad, that you're helping orphans around the world? Yet you're making orphans of your own kids." (laughs) And I was like, "Ooh,
0: oh, that stings."
2: That stings is right. So. but, you know, for me, I was living over there after about six years went by and some of these kids had grown up and now like they're like my own kids, like I love them just like like that. And so I was sitting yeah. with some of the some of the kids. I visited them first in 2010. And now it's almost, you know, nine years later um, and I've watched them grow up. Um. And so i was sitting with a bunch of them. And I said, how many of you would like to go to college? Because no, no one from this orphanage had ever gone to like a proper university. Just they didn't send them off. It's expensive. And, yeah. and so, you know, I said, put your hand up if you want to go. And eight of them put their hands up. Mm-hmm. And I said, all right, well, why don't we like, honestly, where money's concerned, I feel there is an unlimited amount of money in this world. And for a yeah. good cause, you can find the money you need. You mm-hmm. just have to tell the story. So I thought, mm-hmm. OK, eight orphan kids want to go to college. That's a story like we're yeah. going to find we're going to find the money. So we started researching uh, universities. We started researching um, uh, majors. And then I did a fundraiser and we raised all the money. And all eight of those kids were off at top colleges in India. Wow. So I thought, great. Like, I just love that they're in school. And it made me super proud. And they were proud. And so go get them, kids. Well, I came home and I was talking to a friend of mine. And he said, that is such a great story. He said, you know... um, you should do it on a bigger scale. Mm. You know, I bet you lots of people would like to get involved and help orphaned kids go to school. Mm. And in fact, my focus was really orphaned girls because most of the kids in this program, you know, were girls, but that the girls were the ones who really needed, um, if they leave an orphanage at 18 years old without support of family support or an education, it's super dangerous for them out in the world. Like they, they're they're very, very vulnerable to go out and especially like in India or um, c- countries like that. So um so i had an idea for a name that uh i thought oh it's the name is too good that it will not be available (laughs) so i went on to you know godaddy or whatever to find and i typed in teachher.org I mean, it sounds like teacher, but it's just two words. Teach her. It's just so simple. I can't imagine someone didn't scoop it before me. <laughs> yeah. and, it, and it was there. It was free. It was like, I mean, it was like, you know, like it wasn't a premium yeah, thing. Nuts, yeah. And I thought, this is nuts. So I, I bought it. Yeah, yeah, it was like $19. And so I, I bought it. And I even bought Teach Him because that was available just in case one day. Mm. And, uh, and then I just started, the, I talked to a friend of mine in Australia and he owns a marketing company and he offered to build the website for free. Wow. So I thought, OK, well, let's build the website. So now we have this beautiful website for teacher.org. And I'm now out telling the story to people and raising money. Now, now, the nice thing about this is there's lots of people in the world who are fighting for girls' education. It's a huge uh, campaign. Uh, it's, the, you know, some of the top uh, names in the business like Malala and Michelle, uh, Michelle Obama and uh, Melinda Gates, they're all out. Fighting for girls' education. And that's awesome. But our organization only targets orphaned girls. Girls mm-hmm. currently living in orphanages around the world. Now there's eight million children who live in orphanages at the moment around the world. And so we figure half are girls, probably more than half. So the four million girls who are living in orphanages, that's our target. Not just poor girls or every girl, um, girls that want to go to school. It's like just you gotta live if you live in an orphanage and you're you know then and you're a girl and you wanna go to college, then talk to us. And so we've been putting kids in school and finding sponsors and supporters and like just growing that very organically, but like one story at a time like this. Mm.
1: And are you operating anywhere? or are you focusing your energy on India?
2: Well, we just launched a partnership with, um, a program in Nepal. Mm. Um, and I've talked to someone in Cambodia. I've talked to my friend in Zimbabwe about, um, and so, we're just expanding as a, a situation. So this is what I did in those first six years when I was fundraising for people. I only work with people who I like. Yeah. Like, I have to like you, and I have to trust that you're not going to steal my money. Yeah. Because that's very, very common in yeah. the world. So there's lots of um, scams. Uh, I used to do orphanage tours to see about finding partners. And I've had times where I was in a place and... Something kind of strikes me as off and I say to the guy, let me ask you, like, where are the beds in this orphanage? Like, where do the kids sleep? And the guy kind of looks at his friend and he's like, uh, they were stolen. And I was like, mm-hmm. OK, well, when? And he said, uh, last night. So I said, OK, like when the kids were in them, like the thieves came and quietly <laughs> set the kids on the floor and <laughs> stole the orphan beds. I mean, who steals orphan beds? but um this was just a scam this guy there was no there were no orphans at this place they they bust some kids in for the day and they were trying to get us to fund them when they didn't actually exist Mm. and so sick i know it's horrible and it's very very common though or or people will have orphans they get children uh and they'll keep them and keep them in squalor conditions so that they can get money and then they keep all the money for themselves and use the kids like props for foreign tourists who come in it's like so you have to be careful. So like, I only work with people who I meet, who I actually, mm. or somebody I trust can vet them or mm. people on the ground can vet them. And then, so I don't just work anywhere if someone calls me and says, um, put our kids in school. But um, so if we're, we're just expanding as we find people that we trust and like, then we're finding supporters to go into that area and help those kids.
1: I see. That's crazy that people are trying to take advantage of yeah Yeah, i mean (laughs) yeah some people have no ethic and moral well
2: but i think i think a lot of times in some of these places it's like a job so there's there's not a lot of opportunity and so people think they see a non-profit getting money and they think okay well there's a source of money all we need is some kids in a building and we Mm. could open business and they see it as like a way to make some money now that's not the way i don't want to support those people um but you wouldn't know if you just if you could come up with a half decent website you might be able to raise money Foreign. No, it's
0: actually super interesting because when i was looking at orphanages in panama some of them you had to pay like 30 dollars per day to go and help and i was like i'm not against paying but where's that money going i was like i don't want to go and pay the staff to have a fancy meal i want to go like if i'm paying anything i wanted to go to the children so i ended up finding somewhere that i could go for free and actually and it wasn't even about the money it was just more about like i didn't know where that money was going and it was a weird kind of I don't know, it's a weird thing to kind of get your head around in terms of like, well, you know, what is real and what isn't real? And it's like, are these kids here just for show, just so that you pay them $30 a day to be there, but then actually they don't need to be there? Or well, maybe, it, you know what I mean? It's like a weird kind of, it's, it's hard to figure out, like you said, who the real people are and who the real orphans are and who the real businesses are. And it, like, it's a whole minefield. And if you're quite innocent about it, I think you can quite easily get trapped into one of those schemes where you're paying people to leave children living in shit just so that it's like a, like, what's that thing? It's called like, um, oh, my brain's gone blank. You know when like like people make, no, like when people make things look worse than it is, just for the tourists, so it's like, Oh, these poor orphans, da 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 when it's actually right. do you know what I mean? There's like a, a word for whatever. But yeah, it's it's hard to know what's real and what's not real at one point.
2: <laughs> no, and I think so. you're right. And that's where really the movement around the world is not to be a volunteer at an orphanage. Mm. Um now I, I don't I, I've I've lived at an orphanage, so I'm not really one to talk. But um but I've been sort of chewed out by people who are like, you know, you're part of the problem. You're there encouraging people to, to visit orphanages and what a great experience you have. Now I say also though, like I said before, I would never be working for these kids if I didn't first meet them. Mm. Like by meeting them and spending time with them and living in their world um, and and really committing to them, <clears throat> I'm able to then see, to grow that connection and to and to love them for real. Like not just to feel like, Oh, intellectually, orphans are bad. Therefore, I have a passion for orphans. Like, this is much, this is just like from my heart. Like, I look Mm -hmm. at these kids and think, through no fault of their own, they've been given this terrible hand. Like, you know, why are, I don't know what your families are like, but for my family, I was born into a happy family where my parents bought me a piano when they wanted to learn to play the piano, (laughs) you know. And so it's like these kids aren't in, like, their stories are so tragic in many ways. Um, I don't even like to share them because they are, they're so personal and terrible. Um, not all of them, but a lot of them. And they all, like to be an orphan means you begin with a sad story, essentially. Yeah. And, um, but so oftentimes if people visit orphanages or, or travel to them, um, it can create a cycle. Like it's easy to love these kids and to come in for a short while and feel like, oh, I'm here for you, I love you, and then disappear. And really in yeah. many ways, it's like abandonment again for these kids they yeah. were left at the start of their lives then these these travelers come in and they love these travelers like they mm-hmm. genuinely feel like like if, if you ever go to a place like this and you see them holding on to you and gripping you that's the attachment disorder like they just want attachment and then when you leave them again it can be another trauma for them so yeah. uh, i i don't um it's hard for me to to justify telling people yeah yeah go volunteer at orphanages uh it's it's going to be amazing because there's it's complicated mm-hmm. um But I do see what I've come to find after all of that work, helping projects around the world, building, whether it's schools or orphan homes or, you know, individual projects. um, What I've come to find is the thing that's really important is education for these kids because they're going to ultimately go out on their own. And what do they go out there with? Do they go out in the world? If they don't have that family support, they're going to need something to fall back on. And so if I can give them, particularly the girls, if I can give them um a real skill uh then they have a then they have a fighting chance you know to Mm -hmm. go out there and and support themselves and not just depend on uh um and also grow up you know grow up a little bit in school and not have to go out on the street when you're 18 or you know into the world like that can be that's hard i I wouldn't have wanted to do that even here in america like to just go Mm -hmm. out some people some people do that and thrive but like some of these kids they they need some time and so um Yeah, so that's kind of what this whole journey has kind of morphed into is now I spend my time, like I was saying before, like I I found a a benefactor who is paying me a salary to work on teacher. So Mm. I don't have to take any money from this organization. So Mm. at the moment, 100% of all the money that we receive from online donations. So if people people give um, money to teacher, what we do is we apply that to a specific girl's education. So if you give me 10 bucks um you're going to be told at at some point when we put another class in hey uh just to let you know that your donation to teacher you are now part of this girl's team so so and 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 college over there is is really affordable i mean uh, comparatively so it might cost you know anywhere between 2000 and 3500 us to go for a year Mm -hmm. And and then most degrees are three year degrees. So like I'll just add up the donations up to three grand or whatever the the girl's education is, and then I just make those people her team and I Mm -hmm. give updates. I give updates to that those group and say, hey, here's what she's doing. Here's some photos. Here's some writing from her. Here's a little bit about her. And then those people feel like all I did was give ten bucks and now I'm on the team of this girl, Mm -hmm. you know, like I think that that's that kind of accountability where people can see, like you say, you give money, but where does the money go? Yeah. You know, like, but that's something where I don't I, I have seen in all the work that I've done, what people want is, one, they want to trust you. They want to think that what they're giving their money to, it's actually going to happen. And two, they yeah. want some proof. Now, you, yeah. want, you oftentimes don't get that proof. Oftentimes mm-hmm. you just get you get nothing. You give money to a large organization and you might get a, a, a letter at the end of the year asking for more money. Yeah, like that's what you get. Um, Some organizations are really, really good at that accountability. But I want teacher to be something where um, where if you give uh, online, unless you give to the organization to help fund the organization, and that's the expectation that that's what that money's for. If you give Mm -hmm. a donation, a random donation um, or a fundraising donation or something, that money all goes 100 percent goes to girls education. And we just portion it out to as many girls we we have a running list. And we just put them in as we as as we have enough money
1: and I think I think also it helps to put a face behind it it's not just I'm giving you money and you're you're helping people but it's just people it's just girls yeah when suddenly it becomes a name and a face and and a degree and a story and, and it's yeah, and you ex- connect and I think that would I, i'm I don't know i'm'm I'm, I'm wondering if you probably have a good uh, ratio of people giving back so the same girl can go to the second year and maybe the third year because you get attached I guess to this human being behind the donation and you yeah. wanna keep helping her.
2: <clears throat> well I've been doing I've been very conservative with the money because the one thing I don't want to do is commit to a young woman and then tell her I can't pay. Oh mm-hmm. yeah. So so what I've been doing is I've been raising the full amount for a girl's education before I put her in. Oh, So So it it might be it might be about 10,000. So let's say it's 10,500 US $3,500 a year. I have the full amount. Unless I have a specific sponsor who says I want to cover this person year to year, then I'll go on a certain amount of faith that you're going to do that. I, I, you you may not i mean you may disappoint me um in her but um but i'll go on a certain faith that even without that money in the bank but for general donations we we usually add it up so that we have the full amount and then we just earmark it so she's set uh yeah. she we, we don't have to That's worry great. about that i i just feel i would hate to have to have a whatever bad year i mean it'll probably never be as bad as the pandemic years but um <laughs> to have a bad year yeah, where you, you just say to all the girls hey you know what uh sorry to say i uh, hope you enjoy those first years of school but you're done yeah. I, I don't got you so like i really don't want to be in that situation so i'm i'm, I'm playing a little bit uh, conservative here to start yeah
1: makes sense makes sense so if people want to help you contribute best ways teach org, and they can donate on the website
2: yeah, dot teacher.org. Yeah, you can go on there and take a look at what we do. And there's certainly lots of donate buttons all over the website. But well, one thing I want to say, like, that I challenge uh, your listeners. Um, we have something on there called the teacher Her Challenge. Mm-hmm. And this has been the most um, inspiring piece of this idea for me. So when I first came up with Teacher, I didn't actually want it just to be teach these kids in another country. Um, like, so... Um, yes, we're teaching these girls in India and Nepal and wherever. We're giving them the opportunity to go to school. But I want to teach our girls here in -hmm. the United States or the UK or wherever. I want to teach them um, about how to get involved. Mm -hmm. I want to teach them about how to put their passion in action. I want to teach them about the difference they can make even at a young age. So I've had a lot of young um, people Uh, between the ages of 15, 16, and 17 who've come and take this challenge. And I challenge them to raise a thousand bucks. So a thousand dollars. I'll teach you how to do it. Uh I'll help you produce a video. uh, And I'll walk you step-by-step through and show you how you can do this. Because I found in fundraising, it's a skill. Like it's something that not everybody can do. And it scares a lot of people. A lot of people, they don't like it. Like They think the last thing they want to do is ask for money. But I found in my work that I'm never I I can ask for money all day long because it's not about me. Mm -hmm. If I'm asking for myself, I might be nervous about it, but I'm asking for these kids like someone's got to ask for them. So I'm fearless. But so so we have uh, this teacher challenge where girls have stepped up. And there's a great uh, video on the website uh, if you go and check it out. But so there's a girl named McKenna. She's 16. She lives in Massachusetts. She wants to take the teacher challenge. So she comes out a shooter video. She puts it out there. And she raises eight thousand dollars, just like that. So yeah. you know, sixteen-year-old kid, eight thousand bucks. So super proud of her. So I assign her uh, a student. Her name's Kelly. She's she's uh, at at an orphanage over in India. She wants to be a lawyer. Well, so we connected the two on a Skype call, mm. and we filmed oh. it. We filmed both sides. You know, I had a cameraman in India, and we filmed them meeting. And they're just kids. Like she, Kelly in India is twenty. McKenna's 16 and they're talking about their pets and they're just goofing around and talking. Well, at the end of it, McKenna says, I'm going to raise the full amount of her education. It's $20,000 for a five-year degree. She's 16. (laughs) So as a 16-year-old, she has taken on the responsibility of this 20-year-old orphan girl. And she's going to do it. Like she already, she's almost almost at 10,000 or she's over 10,000 now. I think she's almost at 11. But she's going to raise all 20,000. And like, I just feel that that is going to change both of their lives. It's going to change Kelly's life because she's going to get to go to school and get this law degree, and that's will be amazing. I mean, she's a first-generation college student, for sure. sure, you know, her family. Mm. But, um, but for McKenna, for this girl over here, like, she is now, this is real. Like, she knows this girl. They're mm. friends. They're going to be in college at the same time. So they're going to support each other and talk to each, you know, and I just think, like, that is amazing and i just encourage anyone out there like come and take this teacher challenge see what you Mm. can do and even if you like i give them a free t-shirt if they hit their goal they get a (laughs) t-shirt but um but more than that like you'll get updates on the girl that you're sponsoring and you can change her life but you can also change your life that's what i'm that's what i'm trying to get across to them so
1: yeah wow that is definitely life-changing for 16 years old to, to suddenly like you said at the beginning about you it's not about me anymore it's about helping someone else and i guess that's what she's going through especially when you're a teenager you're kind of me 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 and myself and you know and everything evolves around you and suddenly you find this other person that is not as privileged as you are just realizing that this age is amazing for a star and 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 then you get the chance to make a difference that's going to be so valuable for her future that's wow that's amazing i love the idea
2: yeah, and it's great. And, and to me, I feel like it's just a matter of, again, the only thing stopping anyone who's listening. I don't care if you're a 16-year-old or you're a 50-year-old. The only thing stopping them from doing that is just deciding to do it. Yeah. If someone were to say, you know what? I've never raised any money. I'm going to try and raise it. I'm going to try and raise $3,000 one year for a girl's education. Anyone in this world can do it. I don't care if you're 10. I don't care if you're 90. Anyone can do that, and I can show them how to do it, but you have to decide to do it. You just have to decide, I can do this, and then you. I promise you, you can do it.
1: Yeah, it's never been easier. Like, right? yeah. Go on, go fund me, create the thing. It's going to take you an hour to write everything, send it to every person you know, like all your friends and family and everything. Like, I mean, it's not too hard just to start it, Right. Well, and we have
2: tools on Teacher. We have we have all those tools uh, and and we have a toolkit to walk you through. We got all it all laid yeah. out. It just could not be easier. And we'll even help you with a video uh,
0: yeah, so, I- I mean.
2: if you want. So, I mean, there's no excuse. No yeah. <laughs> uh, But these girls are worth it. I mean, that's the thing. Like these girls, mm. like they really are um, having 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 lived with them and and got to know them just as people like they're no they're no they're not more deserving than any one other girl you love and know but like they certainly could use could use uh, the the help and they're not going to get this opportunity like there's no there's no government loans for orphan girls to go to college like there's no Pell grants or whatever the grants they have in, in England you know it's just like there's no student loans like it's it's just it's not uh, you, they're not going to go uh, most yeah. of the people that go uh, are, are quite wealthy. So, uh, this gives them a chance. And I really love that. I love to take, you know, the low, the people that do not have that opportunity and just kind of pile on, you know, yeah. let's put them in school, but then, you know, let's get them a laptop and let's, let, let's, let's just pile on them for, because their whole life, they haven't had that. They haven't yeah. had th- the that chance. feeling. And many times in school, they don't feel worthy of being in that school or, you know, so it, it takes a bit more than just saying, "Okay, go to school, good luck." It takes a lot of um, you know support from their mm-hmm. from them as well. But it's mm-hmm. great. It's it's great. Like, again, like th- these these kids are the best clients I've ever had. They're, they're the <laughs> least the least demanding and uh, you know the most supportive. So they're they're kind of amazing.
0: I'm just kind of like I'm just sat here in awe, kind of speechless, <laughs> and just thinking about it, it's so interesting how your story just all comes together. Like you said, you learned about filmmaking, you did, you know, you got all these awards, you got all these things, but that was really just training for what you're doing now. And it's, and it's, it's interesting because I bet you didn't know that when you were getting these awards years ago, that you would be using all of these skills to now help girls in India go to college and, you, you know, and studying. It's just such a, I'm just kind of mind blown, honestly. <laughs> your like, your determination, your strength, your just go get them attitude, and like your positivity as well, like just this whole conversation has just left me a little bit mind blown, a little bit speechless and super duper inspired. Like I, I'm, I I don't even know what to say, honestly.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, that's great. Like, and honestly, I, I, I do feel like one thing that I've seen in these last bunch of years where I've been traveling and meeting people around the world is that so um, there, and you probably know this because this is your work. You work with, you know, finding interesting people and talking to them. The world is full of people who are mm-hmm. doing amazing work. Mm-hmm. You know, that it is truly like as you go out into the world and you see, like for me, anyone who's fighting for orphan children is my hero because there's so much need in that area. And there's so many people doing it. You know, and and that's something where you just think for whatever your passion is, there's people out there who are fighting for it. And like I tell people all the time with orphan kids, like there's always room for another person because there's so much need. There are so much need in the world. And these kids need champions and nothing I'm telling you feels better than being a champion for someone who really, really needs that, you know, who needs someone to fight for them. So, like, if you have a voice and you're fortunate enough to have some free time or some or the desire to even get out and do something. The world is so open and it's the time like there's never been a time like this right now where you guys can probably go. And go to South America and do your thing and still find a way to make a living, you know, turn that into something. And where, mm-hmm. you know, I can go and say, I'm going to make my focus on orphan kids and find a way to make a living at it. You know, mm-hmm. so like the it's, it's a great time now in the world for someone who feels a calling. And this is what I always say, there's gonna be someone I know who's listening to this out there right now who feels like a baby bird in their chest. They feel this like fluttering heart where they feel like this guy is talking to me. Mm. This was meant for me. You know, I feel, I've been thinking, I've been on the fence. I've been wondering, maybe I should do this thing. Maybe I should follow this passion of mine. And like I'm saying, yes, I am talking to you, and this is your calling to get out and do it. Like try it, and the you know what's the worst that can happen? You can always go back to doing the same thing uh, that you're doing yeah. now. Like go try it, and uh, most of the time I, I found in my own experience, when you when you when you jump, we used to have a saying on our trip, and it's not super profound, but it but it used to just be something will happen. We'd be at a crossroads, and we'd try and decide, do I go this way or this way, and we go well let's go this way. Something will happen and we'll just go. Because in the end of the day, you're back in your bed, you're falling asleep and something happened, even if you don't know how it's going to work out. And so I feel like with, with, with all this stuff, it's really not as life or death, I think, as people feel. They feel like, oh my gosh, if I make this change, my house of cards is going to collapse around me. And the truth of it is, if you make a change, then you get a new house and you do a new thing. And it's just like you adjust to that and pretty soon that becomes routine. So I think it's... I don't know, it's a great time, I think, to explore. And really, I say to people, find something you love and fight for it. Because that has been the secret to my uh, happiness in all this. When When you step away from yourself, I mean, you can love yourself too, but when you step away from yourself and find something you love and fight for that thing that needs you, that's really, really rewarding work if you can find it.
1: And I could not agree more with what you said about what is the worst that could happen. And literally like take a pen and a piece of paper and write it down like if I quit my job what is the worst that could happen to me and usually 99% of the time it's not gonna be that bad you'll be all right (laughs) and I've done this exercise I've done it when one year ago I was thinking about quitting my job to take a break and go traveling I wrote it down like what is the worst that could happen and it wasn't that bad. And, and, and even, if,
2: even if you wrote down the worst that could happen is, I die. Like, I mean, well, that I'm is gonna the worst. Anyway. That, that, you're going to die anyway. <laughs> like, that is the worst. And if that happens, then really you don't have any more problems because then that's all done. <laughs> I mean, and I don't encourage anyone to be reckless or to do things that are dangerous or put themselves or the people they love in harm's way. But really, most of the time, a calculated risk is going to be just fine.
1: Hmm. I've really, really enjoyed this conversation, John. Thank you so much. It's been so inspiring. And listening to you, especially when personally we are on the edge of starting a kind of similar journey is like thrilling, like, oh, I can't wait to get started, yeah. you know? <laughs> <laughs> so thank you so much. Before we finish, I, I really want to touch base on one last thing. You have... A side project, an Instagram account called Sunset Selfies. I don't want to talk about it because it's really cool, and I'm gonna leave it link in the description so people can have a look at it. Basically, you cut uh, animals, characters, things in cardboard, and you take photographs of the silhouette of this shape you cut with a sunset behind, whatever, and you create fun, nice, magical scenes uh, how did you come up with this idea? It's really, really cool.
2: (laughs) Yeah, no, that was a funny thing. I I was spending, uh, I was living out on an Island one fall after coming back from the orphanage. And I was just spending some time back here in Maine and I was sitting on the beach one night and I had uh, a beer box, empty beer box. And I had a pair of scissors and my camera on a tripod. And for no reason, like the sun was going down, it was looking really nice. I cut this little alligator head mask and on the box and stuck it on my head and then I set the self timer and I jumped in the shot on the rocks like an alligator and took the picture and I I went back and looked at it and it was so much more than the (laughs) box. I mean, the stupid box on my head looked, suddenly I looked like this creature, you know, on the rocks and I thought, wow, everything disappears in silhouette, you know, all the imperfections kind of disappear. So I started doing more and more sort of small little characters. Like I said, you know, as a kid, I wanted to be a cartoonist. Hmm so i thought i'll just make this will be like my cartoons so i started to do like single panel cartoons so they all have a bit of a you know a joke to them each each mm-hmm. the captions for each one is kind of a joke but i started to then they got more and more complicated and more like and and then i got more and more people following and that was fun and then you know i was on the kelly clarkson show it's a, it's a syndicated show in the states and like she she's a fan and so i started to like get this is where i met paper boyo uh, uh rich mccore and and so I started to get involved in this community. And that was really so that kind of that project is just something I do for fun, uh, because I spend so much time on the computer and uh, and that I'd like to get away from the computer. Mm. So at the end of the day, I look out and see, oh, the sun's going down. So I will I will draw something out on cardboard and cut it out and then go out with my camera at sunset and find a nice spot and set it up and take a bunch of pictures till the sun's gone. And then that's it, come back and put it up on the internet and let it be. But it's just a way, It like as a creative project, it's just a way for me to um, get away from the screen. It's very organic. So there's like a lot of drawing and erasing and markers and scissors and, you know, tactile things you have to touch. And then you carry it out, and you—it's like a thing that you stand next to. It's—it's it's not just a digital thing. It's not all just on a screen, and um, I really like that. It's like being a kid—you get to—you yeah. get down on the ground. You know, you're on your hands and knees drawing on a piece of paper. Like I like that. After a whole day of sitting, tick tick ticking away at the typewriter, the at the at the keyboard, it feels like I just want to get away from all that. So that's kind of how it started and started to grow. And as more people come into it. It's fun. I haven't done them in a while. I've been so busy that I just kind of have said I do it now and again. It's not any way that I um, bank my future on, but it's a fun thing. So yeah, sun- it's at Sunset Selfies. Anyone can find it on Instagram and come and play along.
1: Yes, your little escape from the laptop from from work and. Yeah, it's just a creative hobby. It's pretty cool to have that, actually. So, yeah, yeah, mm. it's it's been it's, cool. it's been
2: fun. Those things have been all over the world. Like, they've been in every mag, major magazine and newspaper. And like, I just can't believe how far and wide they have gone. And like, I use them as a way to talk about teacher. Honestly, like, people want to do an interview about sunset selfies. I'm like, well, only if we can talk about teacher, because like, I, it's nothing. It'd be nice if 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 you know a million people came and followed sunset selfies, but it's not. it'd be nicer if a million people came and helped with teacher yeah
1: Yeah, for sure yeah again thank you so much you inspired me to get started with this trip and and to get things going and I can't wait to be somewhere to do stuff because yeah you like the last five months have been kind of slow and everything and I see you Gave me the kick in the butt to really like <laughs> get going with it and get started so uh, thank you really personal you, message but <laughs>
2: you guys are welcome it's so <laughs> nice to talk with you and i look forward to to following your journey and seeing you uh out there in the wide open world living your life and uh doing your thing having your adventure too so i'm sure that'll that'll be uh, transformative for you as well i'm sure it will
1: yeah if people want to reach out to you uh, maybe on a more personal level or stuff like that, what is the best way to get in touch with you?
2: Yeah, they can reach out to me um, at, um, just through email would be fine, uh, uh, john at org. that's my email address, uh, but they could also find me, I'm on Instagram at John Gress Marshall, uh, G-R-E-S-S, John Gress Marshall uh, on Instagram, uh, but I also have a website at johnmarshall.com. If you go to that website, you hit the contact button, that'll come to me as well. So uh, I'm and all over the... you can actually
1: the... get a signed book. You That's can get it. Cool.
2: A... Yeah. <laughs> I had someone just reach out this morning. They asked for 21 signed copies. So I just had to... I, wow. I, spent, a, I spent a morning signing and personalizing. <laughs> I even draw a little cartoon in each book. So if someone wants a, a copy, they can they can reach out through the website and I'd be happy to mail one off. I like that, the
1: little personal touch. That's yeah. really cool. <laughs>
0: Before we close off the episode, yeah. I think Jamie's forgotten. Oh, we yeah. always ask some, everybody the same question. So if you could speak to somebody, dead or alive, famous or not, who you think is the most interesting person to have a conversation with, who would you choose and why? What would you want to talk about?
2: I completely forgot about it. I know. How can you forget? This is this is your ending shtick. Yeah, um, this is like what we I do. I was into it. <laughs> <laughs> this is what you do. Um, any person, living or dead, you know, I got to say, so this is going to sound, This I'm not a particularly religious person, but like I would love if Jesus were, if I could just sit down with Jesus and just say like, probably a lot of people say this, I don't know. But to me, it's like to sit down and say, okay, look, I want to ask you some very like straight <laughs> questions. I would be super interested to sit down and get... Um, you know, lots of answers away from any type of dogma or religion, but just get it straight from the from the man himself. That like sucks. I would be I would be interested. I, I got to say I, I, I would I'd, I'd feel like I was missing out on an opportunity if, if that was if that, that was available to me. So uh, that's what mm-hmm. I'd probably pick. Do you have a question
0: in particular you'd want to ask?
2: Oh, man, I don't know. I'll, t- I'll tell you a story as my way of answering. So I was at I was down in the Bahamas. Um, and I was at the, at a, at a yoga thing. It was a meditation retreat and I, 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 I can't sit, uh, on a cushion. I just, I, like, I, I, so I needed another cushion. So, mm-hmm. um, I was going to go into this tent, but I forgot that they told us not to go in this tent mm-hmm. because there was a Swami from India who was meditating in this tent. He'd been in deep, deep meditation. No one's to disturb him. He's here meditating for days, you know, like just sitting in this tent. So I totally forgot about that. And I just walk in the tent. And when I walked in the tent, this guy turned and looked at me and I swear to you, his eyes were like uh, flashlights. They were like lights. And wow. I, the only thing I could think to do was lie on the ground. I didn't think about it. I just did it like re- reflexively. When he looked at me, I got down like to lay on the ground. In front mm-hmm. of this guy, mm. it wasn't on my mind to do. I just did it like yeah. reflexively, and he said, "Oh, it's okay," you know. And I looked up, and he was just normal, you know, like again. Mm. And I and so I sat with him, and um, we talked. And I asked him, like I told him when I walked in this room, your eyes were like flashlights, like they looked bright, like a light in each lo- eye. And I said, like, what did you see when you see me? What do you see? And he said, when I see you in that doorway, I don't see you at all. I don't see you any differently from this floor or this tent or those trees outside. I only see one thing, and that one thing is God. Ah. Mm. And I always remember that moment, like this guy wasn't joking with me. He wasn't like he wasn't trying to impress me. I interrupted him, you know, Mm. and I always thought, like, if I could sit down with someone like I mean, I picked Jesus just as a as an example. But like, I'd be curious to know. I'm very interested in that sort of thing. Like, I'd be interested to know what what to hear straight from someone who's been quoted as being this or that. Like, I want to hear straight from the, you know, uh, someone's mouth like. About the mysteries of the universe, I don't know. I don't know. I, I I would probably fumble my way. I'd probably spend most of my time on the ground. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, I don't know. And and I'm you know I don't I don't consider myself particularly religious. But that's the first thing that comes to mind.
0: Love that.
1: I'm surprised we didn't have more of the censor actually. Yeah, no. Now you say it. <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, thank you so much, John, for this conversation. It has been incredible, very inspiring. Like Jeremy said, I can't wait to go and kick button, and order our flights and get things done and get things rolling and get out there in the world and help people as well because we want to volunteer and experience real life and live with real people and not just see the tourist spots and you know get the instagram photographs it's more about seeing people and living experience. with people and experiences and helping as well that's the main thing helping people so yeah you've really inspired us i'm sure you've inspired everybody listening as well so thank you so much for your time today and for talking to us um Yeah. And for everybody else listening, um, we really hope you enjoyed this episode. Make sure you reach out to John and say hello from us. Um, We're back next Wednesday with a brand new episode. So have a wonderful day.
1: Bye. Bye. Bye
2: bye.